As always, it's so good to be with you. How are we doing, church? Oh, boy, what a beautiful day it is. You know, I really hope that you're enjoying our Eucharistic revival that we're in the midst of. Over the last two weeks, we've established two very important points. One is that the Holy Mass is a great celebration of God's covenant of eternal love with us. It's his agreement. It's his covenant with us. And then last week, this covenant of lasting friendship has been made binding. It has, it has been sealed by God through the literal body and blood, the real presence of Jesus Christ. And so now we come to the third topic today, and it's this. How do I approach Jesus when he invites me to commune with him? How do I do that? Well, there are certain very important points you have to remember, and one of those is going back to what the Eucharist is. It is the real presence of Jesus. You know, it is, I like how the church puts it, it's the body, the blood, the soul, and divinity of Jesus. That's exactly what it is. And if you, uh, the church, in another way that the church describes it, is that the real presence of Jesus, it's who he is as a person. Divinity, meaning the person of Jesus, the divine person, the divinity of Jesus. Well, what makes a body, mind, and a, a body, blood, and soul? Well, that's a person. That's a human person. That's you, right? So Jesus is fully divine, and Jesus is fully human, and he's real. He's here. He invites us to commune at his table with him. And so this is very important as we think about the, the role of Mass and how that Mass works, if we want to relate to him. So the first question is, how do we approach Jesus as someone who is fully divine? Fully divine Jesus. Well, we have to begin by acknowledging we're not on the same footing as Jesus. At least I don't think you are. I know I'm not. I'm not on the same. You know, Jesus is the holy other. That's who Jesus is. He is the holy other. And he is not to be an equal, but he is one who is to be adored. That's who he is, adoration. And one good place, I think, to understand uh, our relationship with Jesus as someone who is fully divine is to observe the holy vessels of the mass, meaning the chalice, meaning the patents, those kinds of things. Watch them today. Watch their movement. Watch what it is they contain. Watch how they are purified at the end of the Mass. What's so holy about these vessels? Well, they contain Jesus. That's why. Uh, Laura, you know, she's a stickler for that. Thank God she is. Because she contain, they contain Jesus. It's not a symbol. It's him. It's his real presence. It's fully divine. And what we have to do is to acknowledge that. But here's a bigger question. Did you know this? That you too are a holy vessel. When you receive the Eucharist, you become a holy vessel, don't you? That's a totally different perspective. I mean, I think that ramps it up quite substantially if you, if you think about it. You. And so the way you approach Jesus in communion as, as a person who is fully divine is a big thing. I like how the monks of Cluny did it. You know how they did it in the year 1000 AD? Well, before, as they were about to receive communion, they'd take their shoes off. 
Then they'd walk up. Reminds me of the story of Moses. Remember what God said to Moses? Moses went up to the burning bush. God was up and said, Moses, stop. Don't come any further until you take your shoes off. You're walking on holy ground now, buddy. You need to do that. And I think as a symbol of approaching Jesus in the Eucharist, I think that that's a very appropriate symbol. But maybe not for us today. I'm not going to ask you to take your shoes off today, okay, as you come up for communion. But I will give you some instruction that the church provides us in terms of how we as holy vessels who are about to receive the divine presence of Jesus are to do it. Listen to a few thoughts. Unless for health reasons, refrain from food and drink at least one hour before receiving communion. Dress modestly. Examine your conscience and go to reconciliation if you need to. Don't chew gum. Receive the host with your hand open. You're not taking something. Jesus has given you something. Your hand is open to him. Consume his presence immediately. Those are some ways that we can show reverence and awe for the divinity of Jesus. But there's two parts to Jesus, fully divine, fully human. How do we approach Jesus as fully human? I think that's the other question. Well, once again, you gotta go back to certain things and you have to go back to the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday and sort of make a, a survey of what took place. John right off the bat tells you about the fully, full humanity of Jesus by the fact that Jesus tells them the first thing right off the bat is that he's eager. He's very eager to celebrate this supper with them. Now, it wasn't because he was hungry, not for food anyway. He was hungry for fellowship. He loved those disciples and he longed to establish his covenant to be restored and renewed to him. That's exactly what he did. What else did, after that, where's the human side of Jesus? What does he do? He washes their feet. That's pretty human, isn't it? Then he sits down at the table and reclines at the table and has dinner with them. Then he invites them to receive him in his real presence. Then he calls them friends. That's human, isn't it? You got any friends? And then he delivers one of his most powerful teachings on divine friendship before they go out into the night. So I suppose you could sum up the approaching the humanity of Jesus that saying that when we approach Jesus at communion, we must realize that we are approaching our best friend ever forever. That's who Jesus is, fully divine and fully human. Now, the responsibility of the church is to assist the faithful, you and me, to, to try our best to incorporate within the context of the Mass these two aspects of who Jesus is. Because when we do, we're able to more fully grasp just exactly what it is that we're doing. How do we make the Mass so that we're in touch with the full divinity and the full humanity of Jesus? One way the church does it is over time, they'll revise the liturgy somewhat. You know, uh, we just did that a few years ago. And then there's also, the, but 59 years ago, it was big. Uh, it's called the change of seismic proportion. You know what that is? 
Vatican II. You ever heard of Vatican II? Well, of course you have. Uh, I really liked it. I was reading uh, Pope Benedict recently on uh, the Eucharist. And I like a, a comment that he made about the Eucharist and, and the liturgy and Vatican II. Here's what he said. He said that what we receive at communion is the person of Jesus Christ, who is both God and man. There's the two persons, isn't it? That's how we relate to Jesus. We relate to him as God, and we relate to him as man. But he says, in prior times, the devotional understanding of communion perhaps forgot that the man Jesus too much and thought about God. Well, you know, if you think about the high mass, you ever been to a high mass? What's the focus? Is it the divinity or the humanity of Jesus? Which one's the focus? It's the divinity, isn't it? You know, the priest facing that way and he's up focusing upward to heaven. See, what's on the altar is the altar is the altar of sacrifice, which is the Lamb of God. And you can't get any greater than that. But uh, he goes on to say that in recent times, post-Vatican II, we're in danger of doing the opposite. Of only seeing the man Jesus too much and forgetting that we are coming in contact with the living, real presence of God. That's this form of liturgy, isn't it? The altar's been turned around. The priest faces the people. The altar becomes not so much a sacrifice of praise of who God is. It becomes an invitation to a banquet table. You're invited to come, aren't you? Well, I can see how Pope Benedict would say exactly what he did. The question for me is, which form is right? We Catholics, it's a big controversy today. Which form is right? Well, the church has decided both are. Both are right. And while the church definitely prefers the latter at this time, that's this method of liturgy at this time, the former is also accepted too. We call this the ordinary way of celebrating the Eucharist. The high mass is the extraordinary way of celebrating. But both are embraced, aren't they? Now, I struggle with that. Which one's the best? I'm always thinking about, I'm a question guy. Which one is the best? Well, it's the saints that really led me to a breakthrough on this. They really did. And it's this. They would say to you this. Regardless of which way the priest is facing, the saints may continue to maintain a healthy balance of between the divinity and humanity of Jesus. Both were equally as important. Both were extremely important because their focus was not on one. We, we humans, it's hard for us to just to focus on more than one thing. But they don't focus just on revering Jesus or to love Jesus as friend, but both. And so they would say both are just as equally powerful. It's how you approach it. That's what matters. But I can see this in the wisdom of the church today, that given the times we live in when we feel alienated and distanced from people, it only makes good sense why the church would see this is the way of celebrating the liturgy because it's an invitation to you. It's an invitation of friendship. 
Well, as we think about accepting the invitation to communion with Jesus, I suppose there's one question remaining. And I'd have to say that most, if not all of you, have heard this question at least once in your life. And it's this question. I don't feel welcome to communion. I don't feel welcome to communion. Now, uh, you know, Laura put me on the spot a while ago. What was the entrance antiphon? All are welcome. You know? Well, all are welcome, it goes on to say, in this place. We are. Everybody's well. You're all welcomed here today. But the Eucharist is a little different. There's more to, more to think about. And so what I want us to do in the remaining moments we have is to look at some of the more commonplace reasons why people may feel unwelcomed and then what to do about it. Let's look at a few of those. The first one is, I don't feel welcome to communion because I'm not a Christian or I belong to a Protestant denomination. And I, I had to chuckle about that one when I thought about it because I did that one. <laughs> I did that one myself. See, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, you know. And uh, when I was discerning the Catholic faith, this very question, I, I posed this very question to my spiritual director. See, I, at the time I was meeting with one of my uh, former Baptist professors at the seminary down on Lexington Road who had converted to Catholicism and who had then become a Catholic deacon. His name was Robert, great guy. But alongside of that, my heart was beginning to warm up to the Eucharist as well. So I asked him one day, I said, Robert, can we go to Mass and celebrate communion together? I'd love to do that, I love that. What do you think he said? He says, no, not at this point, we can't. You're not a Catholic, you know, you're not a Catholic. And then he begins to explain to me why that's important. Because the Catholic Church wants us to first be aware of what it is that the church teaches us about being a Catholic. It's pretty big. Catholicism is really big, actually. And to receive the Eucharist is to say that I am in unity with all that the Catholic Church teaches. That's what it means. So it wouldn't be appropriate for someone who is not yet discern all that the Catholic Church means to take communion, you know? And maybe you're out there, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I'm really interested in the Catholic faith. Uh, if you are, I'd strongly encourage you to do something. Enroll in the RCIA program and, and discern it. That's exactly what I do. Actually, our program is beginning to start shortly. And it's one of the largest groups we've had here in many, many years. There's great interest, there's great spiritual hunger and thirst today in the hearts of people in this world. So call the office. The second reason is, I don't feel welcome to communion because I'm divorced and remarried. Now I've heard all of these because I'm a minister. <laughs> you know, I deal with these questions all the time. But remember this, if you study the Catholic faith, you'll realize why this is an issue. It's a very valid issue if you think about it, actually. But I want to offer you an alternative. One very viable option is an annulment. You wouldn't be divorced uh, if it wasn't a serious matter. You know, that's a serious thing. It's the same thing with seeking out an annulment. Uh, it's a very viable option. The annulment process 
was greatly streamlined in 2015 by the church. And well over 90% of all who request an annulment are granted an annulment. There's all these fear stories about going through the annulment process, which are not really true, but it, it sounds good. It makes for a good story, but it's not true. It's, it's, it's a lot simpler than it is because you have valid reasons for why you would be seeking an annulment. The third reason is um, I don't feel welcome to communion because I'm living in a state of mortal sin. Now, we Catholics, we, we sort of divide sin up into two groups. Mortal, which is a heavier kind of sin. You know, when you think if you're mortally wounded, you're going to die kind of thing. And then venial sins, those sins which are, which are smaller. But what do we do if we're in a state of mortal sin? We know it. Well, we go to reconciliation, don't we? That's exactly what we do. And we are absolved of our sins. That's what we do. The final question is the one I think is the hardest. I, let, I left the hardest till the last. And it's this. I don't feel welcome to communion because I'm living in a state that is contrary to the faith and morals of the church, yet I see nothing wrong with it. That gets stickier. That's a much stickier question, but we need to talk about it. <clears throat> and the fact that I'm exposed to it at times, being, being the priest here, I've often wondered, what would I do in that situation? What would my response be? Because I love the Catholic faith. I mean, I love the Catholic faith. Well, one option would be to go to a Protestant denomination uh, that has no problem with that. You know, there's denominations out there, the state that you're living, they have no problem with that. One option would be that. But that wouldn't work for me. I couldn't do that. And here's why. I believe that the Eucharist is the real presence of Jesus. And it's not a symbol. People say when they, when they go to, into some of the other, when they leave Catholicism, they're told that uh, it's all the same. The Eucharist is the same. It's not the same. I've got a, a divinity degree in, from the Baptist seminary, and I've got one from the Catholic seminary. And I can tell you, it's not the same. This is the real presence. The other is a symbol. Another option would be to ignore the teaching of the church and go ahead and do what I wanted to do. You know, that's sort of our culture today, isn't it? I'll do my thing, you know, I'll do that. Authority's not always respected. But once again, this wouldn't work for me. It wouldn't work for me at all because why? Jesus instituted the church. He is the one who instituted the church. And by instituting it, he entrusted the deposit of faith to its care. What did Peter say? What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Did he say that? That's called apostolic succession, isn't it? So for me, I can think of only one viable option. And that is this. Honor the authority of the church and refrain from receiving the Eucharist, stay as close as possible to the Eucharist by attending Mass and adoration, continue to understand the position of the Church, and finally and most importantly, 
cry out for mercy. Mercy. The mercy, the approach of mercy. Like uh, we saw in the gospel reading just a, a short while ago, the Syrophoenician woman, what'd she do? Mercy. What did the Roman centurion do? Mercy. God, will you give mercy? The approach of mercy is similar to what we call today spiritual communion. Have you ever heard of spiritual communion? Well, a couple of points on God's mercy as we close. Remember this. In the catechism of the church, it specifically states that God himself is not bound by his sacraments. God is God. He will be merciful to who he wants to be merciful to. Isn't that what it is? He's not bound by them. So I can cast myself upon his mercy if I'm in this situation. Also, I can pray the prayer of spiritual communion by, uh, and a great one is by St. Liguori. I don't have time to read it now, but you ought to read it. It's a powerful prayer. And the final thing that I can do is what John did when I think about mercy during the Lord's Day. John was in great distress. I, he knew what was coming up. He knew where Jesus was headed. And he, what does he do? He cries out to the Lord's mercy by leaning. It says specifically in the scriptures, John rests his head on the sacred heart of Jesus. Strength to go on in life. God bless all of you. Jesus loves you, and boy, I sure love you as well.